4: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I love people who make friends. I'm just trying to make you a little money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate teach. Call me, 1-800-743-CBC, or tweet me, at Jim Kramer. Santa J is coming to town. That's right. We rallied hard today. Dow jumping 737 points. S&P surging 3.09 percent. And the Nasdaq poll voting 4.41 percent. Because JPal said the obvious. The economy is slowing. So the Fed doesn't need to tighten as hard as the hawks have been blathering about. The big takeaway? The Fed probably won't have to drive us into a recession in order to stop inflation. Powell's a pleasure. Yep, the fabled soft landing is not only possible, it's actually happening. It's here. No wonder we rally like crazy, led by the beaten down, high-quality stocks, the ones that get hurt the most by high inflation. Powell says the Fed's beginning to win its war against inflation, so they actually will bounce back. The most hated large cap stocks, the semiconductor stocks, the gigantic fang fi- names. Yes, plus even Microsoft. Well, guess what? They had fabulous moves. And wh- why not? Every day we had to hear bad things about Apple, right? I mean, all thanks to China. It was getting ridiculous, don't you think? We heard terrible things about Microsoft and the consumer and the enterprise. But if Powell doesn't feel compelled to take the federal funds rate up to, say, 5%, then we don't need to worry about Microsoft nearly as much. Same goes for Alphabet, Amazon, Meta, Netflix. I mean, it's just not that bad, even for Apple. All right, so everybody was saying, oh, I trust this move, you can't trust this move. Why should I trust this move? You can't trust move. They're like seven years old. Let me tell you something. I, I, multiple people call this a bull, uh, bear market rally. I say, wait a second. I haven't seen so many people scared about doing actual core business, you know, the stuff with money, since 2008. I don't think anyone's being swept away by irrational exuberance here. Here's what really happened. Pal surprised us. I know it's not necessarily how it's being covered. It doesn't feel like it should be surprising to hear Jay Powell offer a more moderate view than the last three Fed officials we heard from, who make it sound like the things are totally spinning out of control and we still can't stamp out inflation without taking rates much, 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 much higher. Today, Powell, but I thought it was reasonable. How shocking, how shocking can rationality really be? In truth, though, there's been a budding sense among many business people that the Fed had decided to go full-on, no-hope, crash-landing. <laughs> because the plane was about to explode. The instrument panel, namely the bond market, sure acted that way. Rates just kept going higher and higher and higher. You know, I watched the two-year Treasury like an owl, not a hawk. The owl's got better eye, you know, they got the better superior night vision. And it was flashing, warning, danger,
0: danger, danger, danger.
4: Until today. Today, the two-year started it's pulled back from 4.5% and went toward 4.3%. That's like a lot when it comes to, you know, percentages. With a huge referendum of the success of the Fed's fight against inflation. We had some of those officials talking about 5 to 7% solution, which would be brutal for the economy. And the bond market is sure acting like we can maybe take that surefire recession recipe off the table. What fuels Powell's confidence? I think it's what he learned in 2018 when he overdid the rate hike talk and almost threw us into a recession at that point for no particular reason. For the first time in a year, it feels like Powell's truly worried that business has turned bad. Not that inflation's soaring, but that actual business, what you and I do, has turned bad. And in a terrible time, right when China's locking down and Europe's suffering from a land war down the block, he is right to be worried. He's got plenty of evidence that he's winning. I'm taking housing sales. We found out this morning that they're down 37%. If that's not a win for the Feds it's war against inflation. I don't know what is. Many companies are taking down sales numbers. Other companies talk about elongated sales cycles, meaning it's taking longer to close on new business. And longer sometimes means never. Most times means never. Meanwhile, there's a daily drumbeat of layoffs that we just kind of even take for granted. It started in dribs and drabs, but now I see it's kind of the spigots really opening. It's going to get worse before it gets better. We see belt tightening pretty much everywhere. It, you know, remember how easy it was to get a job? That, that, that's not true anymore, especially in technology. The Fed hit the brakes on a once-overheated economy, and it sure like, looks like things are working. I talked to a ton of business people, both on air and, more importantly, behind the scenes. Nearly all of them say the same thing. In the last six weeks, something really dreadful happened in this country. There's been a freezing, just a lock, where people are afraid. Not just afraid to spend money, but afraid. I mean, like, just really afraid. Today could alleviate worries. Turn maybe even those fears to somebody irrational. I think Santa Pal knows the employment numbers are about to be uh, heading in a real negative direction. So if he talks about the need for three more big rate hikes, as others on his team have, a recession is just self, self-fulfilling. He doesn't want to be the direct cause of his own recession. Why does the Fed have to crater the economy when it looks like it's going to crater it on its darn own f- fruition? So why not pull up, glide down, uh, engineer a soft landing, foam the runway a little. Now, how about the stock market? There are tons of bears out there, and I can't blame anyone for being a bear. I can't. But even as the market looked terrible coming into today's session, do you know that the advance decline the number of stocks going up versus down was quite strong? This morning, I was going back and forth with Larry Williams, that legendary market historian, talking about how everyone has given up on tech. He reminded me, and this is literally like like 10.30. He said, well, that's when you got to buy. And that was when the market was down really badly. Holy cow, what a call. And that was before Powell gave us this incredible rebound. I say if you want to pounce on tech, you need to be very, very selective because a lot of these names are still way too dangerous to touch. This is still a market where you need to buy solid companies with good balance sheets that make things and do stuff out of profit and ideally return some of that profit to you, the shareholder. Yet every day I hear about people who are not in those kinds of stocks. They're in like a merging market nonsense, high-flying enterprise software names that are losing money hand over fist and don't have the slightest chance of turning a profit. Or they're in companies that complain about macro headwinds and elongated sales cycles. That's no good. I am worried about some of the best companies, including two tonight with stocks under pressure that we're going to have to talk to later in the show. Look, it's a, it's terrific for the bulls. At San Jose, it's Santa J senses the hardest part of the engineered slowdown may be running its course a full year after the bear market got rolling. But when you hear something like CrowdStrike, a terrific cloud-based software company that said last night it's having trouble... Closing deals and they're in cybersecurity and it isn't making money. I mean, don't you think that the Fed, had, the Fed just can't bail them out? That doesn't happen. That's not where you want to be. If your company has just laid off a bunch of people because it's losing so much money, that's not where you want to be. If your company doesn't return capital because it doesn't have any capital return, that's not where you want to be. Maybe you think I'm still making one more clarion call for Apple. Hey, my policy on Apple remains the same. Own it, don't trade it. The people who sold it down on one thirty nine, one forty today, how do you think they're feeling? Yeah, that's right. Now, but the Microsofts came on. Etsy, you bet. Workdays, sure. Caterpillar, absolutely. Honeywell's not bad. JP Morgan, Beckenberg, I like. Is that the same Costco, TJX, what's up? Ford, they're awful cheap if we don't get a recession. And they were all starting to get priced for a recession. Same goes for the higher yielding oil stocks. So you got to use this moment to pivot yourself. Get out of the stocks I've been railing out, railing against for a full year. Like that, There's a woman who told me yesterday, her her mother got out of these these crummy stocks, went into Apple. You know what? She's doing better than the crummy stocks. And get into the stocks of companies that make things and do stuff at a profit and return some of that to you. Bottom line, Santa J may be coming to town, but he's also making a list. He's checking in twice. Stay away from the stocks that are naughty. Buy the ones that are nice. Bradley in California. Bradley! Hey Jim, the original Philly fanatic, you are. You betcha. What's going on? Abe, hey, I have a real quick question on uh, retail giant Macy's. They've uh, their stock's been on a rally, pretty much correlation with the Dow the last two weeks. I'm wondering how
1: sustainable the underappreciated stock will remain, and especially with the Fed softening
4: stance and uh, the
1: resilient consumer in play.
4: Bradley, I'm very look at this question. When when Macy's was at 15, I said I liked it because the number's going to be great. When I at 20, I said I liked it because the number's going to be great. You know what? It turns out it's at 23, and the numbers are still great. So I say, Jeff Gennett knows what the heck he's doing at five times earnings. Call me a buyer. I want to go to Jerry in Missouri, please. Jerry. Jim, I am a club member whose Estee Lauder position has now paid for <laughs> Estee Lauder and then we got the Ulta tomorrow and Ulta's going to say great things about Estee Lauder and then the Chinese are going to have to open and then Estee Lauder's going to... Yes! What's up?
2: Unfortunately, I'm not doing as well with my position of the only EV manufacturer to actually deliver significant quantities of vehicles. Should I double down, hold, or just get out of Tesla?
4: No, I mean, look, I think that... I do believe that uh, I'm not going to go against Musk. I just don't. Musk is too smart. Uh, Tesla's down a lot, I think, mostly because uh, people are worried that he has to pay so much money. You know, has to worry about Twitter. Once this thing is passed us and he figures out what to do with Twitter, which he will, then I think Tesla's going to be fine. All right. Santa Jay is indeed coming to town. Not too late. Let me tell you something. He says he says that uh, stay away from the stocks that are naughty. He's telling you to buy the ones that are nice, although he's not being that granular in truth. Oh, man, buddy, tonight, Salesforce announced after the bell that co-CEO Brett Taylor plans to step down at the beginning of next year. I like that guy. We gotta learn more about what the heck's happening over there to, to, with CEO Mark Benioff Then earlier today on Squawk on the Street, I took a sip of some, something really delicious. It was called Figgy Pudding Spam Juice. And tonight, I'm talking to the mastermind behind the brand, Hormel, to get a sense of what the company has in store. And could Snowflake earnings bring a blizzard to Wall Street? I'm checking in on the cloud stock. It's one of my favorites in terms of the, a company, but we got to talk about the stock with the company's top brass. So stay with Kramer.
5: Don't miss a second of Mad Money.
0: At indeed.com madmoney. Just go to indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
4: Just when J Pal got us excited about high quality tech stocks again, Salesforce.com reports that after the closing and stocks getting hammered. I gotta tell you I think this off is excessive. Salesforce delivered a small revenue beat coupled with a sizable 18 cent earnings beat off a dollar twenty-two cent basis. Although yes, cash flow was a little light. What people off though was the revenue forecast for the current quarter, which came in a tad weaker, but more important the fact that co-CEO Brett Taylor announced his resignation at the end of the year. Well, that's not ideal, count me in as a huge Brett Taylor fan. It probably doesn't warrant this kind of sell-off, even as guidance was cautious. Do not take it from me, though. A few moments ago, I spoke with Mark Benioff. He's the chairman, co-founder, and now just CEO of Salesforce.com to get a better read on the situation. Mark, welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks, Jim. It's great to be with you, always. All right. So, Mark, I see some terrific numbers here. Uh, Earnings much better than expected. Sales much better than expected. Operating cash flow much better than expected. Yes, conservative revenue guy. But then again, future um, margin guy, terrific. And I know that was something that these uh, new people who are shareholders Starboard uh, talked about. And I see the stock down. So I don't want to bury the lead. There's a man you introduced me to who I respect tremendously, who I think was a fantastic partner of yours. Brett Taylor. We sat down together at when we were, we were a dream force, and he's obviously a force to be reckoned with, a fantastic alter to you. I have to believe that the reason why your stock is down in after-hours trading is simply because you lost the best that I've ever seen you have.
2: Well, Jim, uh, look, it's a, it's, a, it's, um, it's a gut punch. And, um, you know, running a company, and I've been doing this now for 25 years, you look for the best people in the world to bring them in. And um, the hardest part is when they uh, tell you that they want to uh, want to leave. And um, that's uh, where we are with Brett. Brett's going to be leaving at the end of the year. And and uh, it's hard. Every loss, you know, for me, or, reminds me of the previous loss. It could be Gassner. It could be McKinnon. It could be Rosenbaum. It could be George Hu. It could be Blitzer. It could be Keith Block. I mean, you know, you 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 work to find and bring and these folks, but you can't keep a wild tiger in a cage. And I've learned that. Um, and you, you do your best, you bring up great talent. And what if they need to leave, they need to leave and you have to support them. And I love him. You know, I love him like a brother. I'll love him forever. He's just an amazing person. I've, I've been just so thrilled to work with him for the last seven years. I knew him for so long before that as well. And all I can pray for is that I'll continue to work for him as he uh, goes to start his third company now.
4: Well, uh, let me give you another angle. When you introduced me to him, I said to you, this Twitter thing's got to be too much for him. He's dealing head to head with Musk. He's the toughest guy. Some people think he's the smartest businessman in the world. He's holding his own. He's doing an amazing job at Twitter. It's not even really what he ever thought he'd get out to. And you know that that role made him be, I think, the right to be able to be CEO of any company in the country, any company. That's how well he handled himself. Do you think that that influenced why he just said, you know what, Mark, I, I got to go out on my own. I got to do something on my own.
2: You'll have to ask him. I, I really am just uh, sorry to see him go, but what a great person. And it's just been an honor to work with him. And, you know, I'm going to love him forever.
4: You did everything you could to keep. him. Thank you. And he just well, I, well, look, he fit. Let's let's talk about the quarter in light of that, because I think that, uh, you know, it overshadows. I mean, look, you taught us to he overshadows. You taught us to love the guy. We didn't know the guy until you told us about him and we love him. So it is a little hard <laughs> to just be able to say, OK, but how about the RPL? Uh, but but we do have to transition. We got people in the stock. They know that perhaps uh, that you could be conservative on your revenue guidance, which means maybe you're conservative about the world, means that maybe you're concerned about the dollar, about international. So why don't you tell us what makes you uh, a little less robust about what I think you could have guided without any problem at all?
2: Well, Jim, you know, I've been doing this now uh, for two and a half decades, and I've been through several different financial crises uh, we, of course, went through 08, 09 together. And, uh, you know, we're going through another, you know, unusual set of uh, financial characteristics, not just in the markets, Jim, but in the economy overall, including CO confidence. And I think when you look at those things, and we've been talking about that now for several quarters, you know, you've seen these increasingly measured buying environments, but also foreign exchange like we could have never anticipated. You know, when we gave guidance a year ago, we could have never expected that. Now we've had $900 million. A foreign exchange headwind for the year just so far, including 300 million in the quarter. So it was awesome that we could actually hold our guidance because we've experienced in a foreign exchange situation, you know, changes in the yen and the euro that are unprecedented.
4: At the same time, I know that I know the folks from Starbucks over the way. I like them very much. They happen to be different kinds of so-called activists. They said they wanted to see your margins higher. You gave them tremendous margin expansion uh, now, I know that you always want higher margins, but you know you get 22.7. I was looking for 21. So if margins are going well, I, that makes me less cautious about your, about your caution.
2: Well, I'll tell you, Jim, you're look, looking at this correctly. And um, of course, we all want the same thing. We've talked about that as well, which is we want strong uh, shareholder returns and we want to have increased operating uh, margins as well as increasing revenues. I mean, here we are with record revenues, Jim, of Seven point eight four billion for the quarter that 's one of the highest reported revenues for any software company ever it 's up on constant currency nineteen percent and with this foreign exchange headwind fourteen percent But you can also see Jim that we 've got an operating margin here, uh, which is also at a uh, record record level at twenty two point seven percent we 've never been able to deliver that before you know that 's a long way from when we first met when the operating margin was ten percent. So oh. it gives me uh, continued confidence uh, in our focus and in increasing operating margin, which is very important to me personally, and also increasing revenue, continuing to deliver for our customers. And I'll tell you, we also closed a lot of marquee transactions in the quarter. And uh, that that has been a highlight for me of what we've been able bank to of America, uh, Dell, would be probably.
4: I want I want the fastest growing telco. I want the largest bank and I would like the the best solid consumer plus enterprise tech company. And you did win those three.
2: Well, let's think about that in terms of every industry is handling these kind of financial headwinds a little differently. And, of course, it's been a great time for the banks. And, of course, one of the largest banks in the world, Bank of America, standardized on Salesforce. We have such an incredible relationship with Brian Moynihan now for a couple of decades and now adding in his business bank, corporate bank, investment bank, you know, into the Salesforce family. We want to be able to give each one of those, you know, um, uh, incredible, important, you know, parts of Bank of America, our customer 360 platform, and they have all their own unique needs, whether it could be in sales or service or marketing or commerce or even in collaboration with Slack. So the ability to work with Bank of America once again to increase their use of Salesforce, that's fantastic for us. And we're thrilled. You also mentioned T-Mobile. Of course, we love Mike. We've continued to grow with Mike. Mike has done an incredible job with his merger. Now he's really focusing on his B2B capability, which is what this next level of our relationship is all about, helping him to go to market more aggressively, directly to business. And the third one you mentioned, Michael Dell. And uh, that's another multi-decade relationship to really help him not only go through the huge transformation he's gone through, not only with Dell, not only with EMC, not only with VMware, but making sure he has the customer 360 he needs to have just a great success for his company. Right.
4: Well, so Mark, the, the tie, a lot of people feel the tide has turned negative for NASDAQ. We're really kind of done with tech. They're too expensive uh, that it's finished. And what I hear from you is basically, look, it's going to be more lucrative. You're taking share. You're doing what you can do during this environment. And when things get better, it'll really be a terrific time. Is that a correct reader situation?
2: Well, also, you know, as the financial markets change or as the economic conditions change, as CEO, you have to change. You have to pivot. Would you have Would to, you have to do layoffs? Would you time. do layoffs
4: if you had to do it?
2: Look, you have to constantly reshape your company. We've already reshaped part of the company. We'll right. continue to reshape the company because you have to look at everything as the market is changing. You know, we just talked about several industries, you know, PCs, telecom, and banking. Right. But every industry is a little different. We didn't talk about hotels and hospitality or or defense or other areas. Every every industry has a slightly different characteristic right now. Some are buying very aggressively. Some are more subdued because of what they're going through. And you want to invest more in the industries and products that are doing well. You want to pull back a little bit in the ones that are not. That's That's the ebb and flow of how to deal with a crisis. The other thing that you're doing is, you know, you look back a year ago or two years ago, it's the best years we've ever seen in the history of the company. It was an unbelievable motion. Now you're like, wait a minute, I need to make an adjustment here. That is how to deal in a crisis situation. You oh, want to okay, make the right me, adjustments and let, then you go forward. Let me aggressively. ask you uh,
4: and leave with this. It's a somewhat morbid question, whatever you said, but your stock's down big. I think it's really because of uh, the departure of Brett, whom you did not want to leave. Do you actually buy your stock if it's down big off of something you know you couldn't control?
2: Well, we've already um, announced that we're buying back ten billion dollars of stock, and we have bought back, I believe, it's well over a billion so far. And we'll continue to be in the market and uh, looking to deliver even a greater return for our uh, shareholders.
4: All right. Well, you wish Brett well for us because we have been taught and, yes, and have learned. what absolutely. Thank, on thank a you. Terrific guy? A Wonderful
2: person, and we're just yeah. we're just so grateful to have him, and and so sorry to see him go on. But you know. Uh, He's just a great entrepreneur, and I know whatever he's going to do next is going to be spectacular. Okay,
4: Mark Benioff, co- uh, co-founder, chairman, and now just CEO of Salesforce. Thank <laughs> you, Mark.
5: Thanks, Jim. Yeah, yeah, money's back in. Coming up, we're not spamming you. Kramer's got a special processed American meeting with Hormel's top brass. Next, you seek the key.
0: Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com businessgoldcard.
4: With the market on fire, uh, one stock that was left behind was a favorite of ours, Hormel Foods company behind Spam, Applegate Farms, you know, I love that stuff. Skip your peanut butter, Planners Peanuts. Although the packaged food stocks have been holding up much better than the overall market for the bulk of the year, this morning, Hormel reported what I have to call a mixed set of numbers. Uh, we're talking about a one-cent earnings beat off a of 50-cent basis. That's pretty good. Coupled with lower-than-expected sales, that's what I'm worried about. Now, it might have been a wash, but Hormel also hit us with some pretty discouraging four-year forecasts for 2023. Why? Because of some volatile complex and high-cost environment that I want to know more about. So is management just being conservative here, or do we need to get a little more cautious about the whole package good food space? Let's go straight to the source, the straight-shooting Jim Sneeze, the chairman and CEO of Hormel Foods. Mr. Sneeze, welcome back to Mad Money.
1: Jim, thank you. Great to be with you again.
4: It's great to see you, Jim. And I, I just want to start high-level for a moment. The Federal Reserve, J.Pal, said today that perhaps he could slow down the fight against inflation. Uh, meaning slow down the rate hikes. It's important, I think, because he's winning the war. If the Fed were to continue to raise rates, would that help you or hurt you at this point?
1: Well, you know, Jim, that's really hard to say. I think, you know, for us, as as we think about our business, the the demand for our products just continues to be really, really strong. And we are operating in a very inflationary environment. We have been for some time now. And so we're trying to be really, really smart and strategic about how we're approaching customers and the consumer, because we want to make sure that we keep them in our family of brands, keep them in our portfolio. And so we're not in this business for quarter to quarter. This is a long term story. And so when we're thinking about pricing and inflation, this is more than just about the next quarter. So thinking very strategically and very responsibly about the categories that we're in and the consumers that we're
4: serving. But are you concerned that just to be able to keep up with inflation, you have to raise the price of your goods to the point that some people are going to be priced out of buying what they've liked for years and years? Yeah, I mean, that's always a risk. And I think
1: as we look at inflation, there are some things that we can control and there are some things that are outside of our control labor costs, no secret labor costs have gone up. Those costs are not coming back down, but we have some input costs. When we think about packaging or raw materials, you know, over time, we do expect those to normalize and get to to more normal market conditions. And so when we take all of that into account, that's where that responsibility and being strategic about it is so that we don't price people out of our categories and our brands. Because again, this is a long-term story and I mean, we've been at it for 131 years. It's not the first time we've been through this. Um, so, I mean, we feel good about our management team's ability to navigate these,
4: these choppy waters. All right, so I should not be that concerned that you had 2.4% organic sales growth, but negative 9.4% organic volume growth, which is what I was concerned about when I read through the quarter. Yeah, no, you don't need
1: to be concerned about that at all. I mean, one of the things that we've done very intentionally over time is we've tried to eliminate the commodity portion of our business. And so a lot of that is low margin, fresh pork business. And so we've uh, set up our contracts in a way that we're moving further and further away from that business. So it's high volume, but very low margin. And so this is very strategic and it's the direction that we want to head as an organization.
4: You know, right, what I think matters to our viewers, of course, is your dividend status and your aristocracy and your kingdom. And I think that people have to be no one needs to be reassured of Hormel we all have it. We all have one of your products at our house. We all love them. But I do think that people need to know how strong your record is on the dividend increase. And your dividend may not look large because of the yield, but it's because your stock keeps going up.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is something that's really important to us, Jim. You know, when we think about our capital allocation process, the first thing we talk about is the dividend, not just protecting it, but increasing it. So, you know, last week we announced our 57th consecutive dividend increase, a 6% increase. We've been paying dividends now for over 94 years. I mean, that's a very enviable track record. And so, you know, it's something, again, that we take very seriously And whether you want to call us a dividend aristocrat, a dividend king, you know, they all translate through to the fact that we've got a very strong balance sheet, a very strong capital structure that's going to allow us to continue to pay dividends well into the future.
4: Well, I would be remiss, Jim, if I did not mention the fact that I had some figgy pudding spam on the set today that uh, complemented last year when I had the pumpkin spam. Uh, but the actual numbers of spam are extraordinary. And I think people would be quite surprised if you tell them about the, the amazing growth that you've had in product that, frankly, I think a lot of people didn't think sold anymore.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, it's, it is incredible, the success that we've had in spam. And so, you know, when you think about the fact that we've had three consecutive record years of sales for our overall business, this last year was our second most profitable year in the company's 131 year history. And a big part of that success, foundational to our success, is spam. And so we just finished our eighth consecutive year of record sales, eight consecutive years. And so that tells you that this brand, this product, is still connecting with consumers in a way
4: that's really, really relevant. Well, I'll tell you, you've answered all my questions. I know that I like your company for all the brands. I like the company for the dividend, and I love what you're doing, Jim. Thank you so much for coming on Mad Money. really appreciate it. Great. Thanks, Jim. That's Jim Sneed, chairman and CEO of Hormel. I like what he had to say. I really love that dividend, too. Mad Money's back into the break.
5: Coming up, no two quarters are exactly alike. Kramer checks in with Snowflake amid a chilly atmosphere in the cloud space. Next.
4: Saying when it comes to earnings, if you're a richly valued enterprise software stock, you're guilty until proven innocent, even though it's wrong. That's what I'm thinking as I parse through the quarter from we just got from Snowflake, the cloud-based data warehousing and analytics play, which sent its stock tumbling after hours. Stuff like actually delivered a clear top and bottom line beat, though sales up 67% year over year, some tremendous cash flow. Unfortunately, the revenue forecast for the fourth quarter did come in weaker than expected, and they implied a big slowdown from the third quarter. Margin guidance week, too. Less than ideal in a market that really cares about profitability. Now I'm wondering if this is it to the extent maybe some weakness of something remains t- dramatically different or is it just the same? I don't know. I'll tell you, close to local Frank Slootman, the straight shooting chairman and CEO of Stillflake, Mr Slootman, welcome back to me, buddy. Good to be on with you, Jim. All right, so Frank, I am I'm a little buffalo. The quarter was amazing. Uh, you're way ahead of where I thought you'd be. The customers are are, are terrific. Everyone's using the pay-as-you-go model, and, and uh, I don't know what to say. That it looks like next quarter is going to be dramatically weaker from this one, and yet I, I know you're a conservative man, but uh, is something more is something wrong that I'm not seeing? No,
7: there's nothing. Uh, there's nothing wrong. I mean, for a company uh, at the scale to be growing at this rate is, is literally unprecedented in the, in the history of, um, of enterprise software, especially with the cash flow and all the other, uh, you know, operating characteristics of the business. So, you know, things are, are really good. One thing that, that, that viewers have to, you know, keep in mind, you know, we're running on a consumption model. It's completely data driven. Um, you know, this is not a, you know, a wet finger in the wind, you know, let, let's see what we come up with, right? So we're very methodical and systemic. In the way we uh, we do these things, um, you know, there's certainly crosswinds, you know, uh, you know, coming uh, across the transom, you know, in terms of the, the some of the static that we're feeling in some of the smaller theaters uh, in our business. Right. But on the whole, you know, things are, are very very strong. You
4: know. but you're a margin guy, and you're guiding the margin of one, which is a pretty big decline from what you did this quarter. I, I have to imagine that if you that you do not need to have margins that low in order to be able to build up business.
7: You know, um, the guidance is the guidance, and uh, you know, uh, you'll just have to wait and see how it plays out. We think these numbers are are formidable uh, in in any reasonable context. Obviously, you know, the the sentiment in the market is a little stressed out, and you know, people react very strongly, and it's that's understood. But you know, we live in the real world, and uh, you know, we just go, you know one day at a time, one one quarter at a time.
4: Fair enough, but I'd always felt this kind of slowdown is made for Frank Slootman and made for Snowflake because the pay-as-you-go model is the one that I would use if I felt like I had to be on the cloud, and the cloud costs a fortune. People don't realize how much these other guys charge.
7: Yeah, you know, the, our, our model is on, on the one hand, you know, similar, you know, to the uh, to the SaaS subscription model in the sense that, uh, you know, customer does, does a contract the contract is ironclad. In other words, the contract will come due over the term of the contract. What's different is it's not a ratable recognition model. So customers can accelerate and decelerate during the, the contract uh, term. So uh, what that means is, you know, as a SaaS company, you know, 95, 96% of your revenue during the quarter is already known on day one of the quarter, in, in, in our world, zero percent is known at the beginning of the quarter, so that, that presents its own set of unique challenges.
4: At the same time, I think people are telling me, you know, what it's it's rent the cloud, Jim, but there's no analytics. I think it's the opposite. I think you offer a a, a vertical analytic that is actually uh, unparalleled. No one else can get this kind of data.
7: No, I mean the the, the tailwinds we are experiencing in our business are uh, you know are enormous. I mean the. The, 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 if there's any f- friction in our in our business in terms of how fast we can go, is really people's ability to harness the technology. And uh, those are the, the conversations I'm having with new customers these days. Uh, you know, they're asking us, help us get there. You know, what do we have to do? The technology is there, but our ability to use it, harness it, uh, you know, is 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 not there. So we have to really sort of evolve our mix. Of capabilities and tools to help customers get there quicker they want to they're not trying to slow down They're trying to accelerate but they need us to help them do it
4: but it seems also i mean for instance you've got a median advertising vertical It's a very challenged industry frank are you able to help these guys see ways to be able to make money that they themselves can't see just because maybe they're either hidebound or don't understand the possibilities
7: you know ad- advertising is, is 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 red hot uh, because obviously, you know, data is, is the lifeblood of advertising. The more granular the data, you know, the, the, the more valuable, you know, it becomes for, for advertising purposes. Um, so everybody who is not in the familiar wall gardens of, uh, you know, of Meta and, and Amazon and Google and, their, and the rest of them. They're building up their their data operations massively, and that, that's that's really their 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 ace in the hole, if you will. So there's there's tremendous demand coming uh, from that part of the world.
4: Well, I got to tell you, Frank. I mean, to me, it, it's Frank Slootman to a T. You can do you can you are growing this company. And you pivot and you're making all the money you want. You're making enough money to be able to make it so nobody else comes in and you own the space, which is exactly what I expected. It's why Snowflake is a great long-term investment. Frank <laughs> Slootman is chairman and CEO of Snowflake. It is always great to see you, sir. Thank you for coming on. Thanks, Jim. Man, my back in. Right. Coming
5: up, Kramer takes your calls, and the sky is the limit. It's a fast-fire lightning round next.
4: it's time it's time for the lightning round it's time for the lightning round for me same just to go to another play the sound and then the lightning round is over are you ready ski day time for the the lightning round let's start with Gene in Rhode Island Gene hey Jim booyah big big booyah out to you I got your back fantastic okay I got your back I'll tell you real quick Um, you made me money my first house about 25 years ago okay VAR. Remember VAR? Of course okay. I remember VAR. It's like yesterday. What's yeah, going on? you remember that? Yeah. There I you go. I, like I loved I always loved it. You're cool. Okay, so okay. what are we doing now? Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm looking. I'm looking. Uh, I do a lot of oil and gas stocks and stuff. And um, I'm looking at uh, WMB. Uh, Don't look by. Come on. Williams is terrific. I've got three others, too. I like, I like ET and I like EPD, if you want to go down that path. Let's go to Josh in Arizona. Josh.
1: Hey, Jim, Josh from Phoenix. I'm a 17-year law enforcement veteran. Love watching or end of the show when I can. Oh man, thanks for serving and
4: thanks for watching.
1: Thank you. It's my pleasure, man. I bought a bunch of this stock back in 2020 at $4.60 a share. Loving the huge dividend. Should I average up, buy more, or sell it due to possible energy issues on the horizon? Or just hold and ride the dividend wave? Picker is C E Q P. Crestwood Equity
4: Partners. Not only did you, have you served our country well, but man, are you a good stock picker? That is one dynamite stock. I do not want you to do a thing other than ride it. Let's go to Matthew in New York. Matthew. Oh,
1: thank you, Jim. First-time caller, um, investment club member, fellow Adirondack 46er. Yes, um,
4: man. What a, try. It's a trifecta. It's <laughs> the Marcin winner. Kind of dangerous, huh? What's up?
1: <laughs> yes, uh, I truly appreciate your passion, educational aspects of your show, and your knowledge of history. I really Thank do. You. Thank uh, questions, on, questions on Sunrun. Historically, you've said it's a speculative stock. It's been consistently negative yeah. on earnings, but they just surprised Wall Street in a big way with the 96-cent beat uh, versus street-predicted uh, negative seven cents. Uh, has your opinion changed?
4: You know, that was good news. I still like Enphase Energy better. I still like First Solar. But you know what? You've got a real comer there. We're going to spend more time. Ben Stoto is my research director and I are going to have hey, to drill down and make a real better decision on that one. But thank you very much. Brandon in New Jersey. Brandon.
1: Oh, hey, Jim. Jim, how
4: are Brandon. you? I am good. How about you, Brandon?
1: Yeah, I'm, 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 doing, I'm doing great. I, I've been, uh, you know, researching the stocks and I and I found this one with a lot of insider buying. And apparently it's a favorite of
4: George Soros. What would that be? It's a Biohaven, B-H-B-N. Well, I don't know quite know about whether George Soros knows it, but this Biohaven is the stub of what was bought by Pfizer. This was that migraine medicine called Nurtek that I popped just this morning when it was raining so I wouldn't have to get a migraine. And now it's everything else that's left. It's still being run by Vlad Church. And I think that you've got great horse sense and it's the right thing to buy. Let's go to Sam in Wisconsin. Sam. Hello, Jim. Uh, First-time caller. Just new to the stock market. I wanted to take okay. on a stock named AVXL. And It is so speculative at a time when I really don't think that you want to be as speculative because it's so neurological. And I do a lot of work with the neurological community and that is the toughest thing to crack. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round.
5: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, better the devil you know. Why cryptos may need an extra special caveat emptor. Next. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. If you want to know what good is,
4: it's spam juice. Oh!
5: (laughs) I cannot unsee that. Oh my.
4: Wow. Oh my. Figgy pudding. Bring out the figgy pudding. Oh, man. It gets better with each one.
5: It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern.
4: Jim Kramer, the die of the dollar. Hey, Jimmy, love the
0: show. My five-year-old grandson loves to watch your show.
1: I have to thank you for making us money when it's there to be made. Our world is a better place with you in it.
4: So last night, my wife, Lisa, and I went to a charity event for Radical Hope. Terrific group helps try to prevent young people from committing suicide. Something happened at the start of this live auction. They had something telling. Those said that, unlike in past years, bid winners could not pay in Bitcoin. The place erupted with laughter, of course. I watched the winks and the elbow bumps across the room. The contempt was palpable, as no one in this group would ever bid for anything Bitcoin anyway. I mean, give me a break. Me, though, I was in kind of a bind. See, a few years ago, I interviewed this fellow by the name of Anthony Poppliano. He's a crypto evangelist known as Pop, and he dared me to buy a big chunk of Bitcoin. I said, what the heck, game on, largely because I was sick of watching other people make money while I wasn't, kind of jealousy. So I took the plunge at $12,000 Bitcoin. I did it with two hands. So what happens? The darn thing immediately starts flying. I'm mesmerized. It goes to $40,000. Remember, my contract doesn't let me own individual stocks. It's a pretty darn game. But when I went home and I mentioned the Bitcoin profits to my wife, telling her about this remarkable pomp call and my challenge to him and how great it was, she was actually less than thrilled. Told me, frankly, um, was I sort of some sort of maniac, a crazy man? Always keep be joke. And, and then right then she said, uh, you're going to sell it tomorrow. And I immediately did. All of which I just closed on air. Of course, the darn thing then runs to $60,000. I want a joker. I mean, come on. I mean, but now it's back down to $17,000. And while it would probably still be in the black, that might not have mattered because you see, Pomp, he steered me into a thing called Blockfit. Blockfit. That's not JP Morgan, is it? And they filed for bankruptcy yesterday. Who knows if anyone can get their money out now? These crypto exchanges are almost totally unregulated. BlockFi was tied up with the ill-fated FTX ground zero for crypto destruction. So I don't want to speculate on where my Bitcoin position would be now. Too many of these crypto financial institutions are experiencing bank runs. All related to the strangely affable Sam Bankman freed. But there's something important. A couple lessons here. First, I was a fool. I was a fool to follow this fella pomp into the valley of the shadow of crypto death. Second, there were greater fools than me taking me out of my position. The whole thing was a pyramid of idiocy that started to collapse the moment we ran out of dumb money. Third, you can still make money off the greater fool theory. And a lot of people did just that before the top, including yours truly. Fourth, this whole episode reflects poorly on everyone involved, especially the proselytizers who saw no risk. These people are still out there jabbering even as the gaze have vanished. Hey, even Sam the man is still gas-bagging, if you can believe that. I told my friend, buddy, pal, Andrew Ross Sorkin that he feels deeply sorry. I feel better already. Crypto and its NFT cousins were abstractions of faith, creatures of pure promotion, and the promoters reveled in their lack of regulation, even as they're now finding out what a bank run feels like without FDI insurance covering your deposit. Hey, you know, it's some no barely billion in loan. Here's what I really thought. You know what, here's what I realized. It was a con, the whole thing, an ongoing con, one, one that many still believe in, often because they think that the dollar's a con and U.S. Treasury bonds are cons and the euro's a con. Well, FYI, never take any advice from someone who insists that everything's a con because that's just an admission that they're con artists. There are two pillars here. They took all the gold bug arguments about how governments constantly print money and devalue their own currencies, marketing crypto as something a safer alternative. Then they relied on the blockchain, the underlying technology which can facilitate transactions much faster than traditional finance. It's much easier to move Bitcoin around than it is to move stocks around. Well, whoop de doo. But maybe that's not about technology. Maybe it's about regulation. See, if you park your money in a regular bank, it's still there. If I left my crypto at BlockFi, um, I don't know, probably not there. Look, I'm in the stock business, and stocks are risky, too. I mean, they go to zero. Hey, look, I see it. I know. Hey, Kramer's nitty. You guys zero. You have all that stuff. But let me tell you something. There's no way to get your money back if it turns out that a stock's defective, and I accept that. Stocks represent pieces of companies, real ownership, and the whole industry is self-regulated. The whole industry is regulated. Not self-regulated, but actually government-regulated. So if you sell things, you'll definitely get your money, and that cash won't just vanish if you leave it in a bank with FDIC protection. I can't say the same thing about what might have happened if I had held on to Bitcoin, and kept it at Blockfi instead of cashing it out and taking it to a, another place called J.P. Morgan. Honestly, I, remember we used to say that uh, Sam bankman free was J.P. Morgan? Well, that was stupid. Honestly, you'd have to. Th- you know what? I would have done better leaving my money in DraftKings. Here's my bottom line. Crypto enthusiasts love to argue that the dollars a con, the U.S. debts a con, the euros a con, the treasuries are a con. But right now, crypto is a con that's collapsing on itself. And that's a whole lot worse than the so-called cons. The promoters always used to get your dollars and win with them while you probably lost everything. I like to say as always a bull market summer. I promise I find just for you right here on Man Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow.